Well, good morning, everybody. Am I on? I will do my best to stand up straight, but I'm afraid I put my back out. Baptizing Bill, so no Bill, I hope you appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for your sympathy, Pete. Appreciate it. <laughs> Let's pray as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you so much for uh, what today represents, um, that the tomb was not empty on that Easter Sunday. Uh, Father, we pray that as we look at the implications of that uh, for our own lives and hear the story of uh, the early Christians, that you might speak to us and uh, that you may challenge us and encourage us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during the week... Um, I looked up some websites on things not to say to Aussies. Uh, so this, I think, was produced for overseas travellers and, and particularly Americans, I think. At the top of the list was, don't say, put another shrimp on the barbie. Uh, now, many of you aren't old enough to know what that means, but it comes from a Paul Hogan ad way back in the Dark Ages um, promoting Australia uh, to, to Americans. Annoyingly, because Americans don't know what a prawn is, Paul Hogan had to call it a shrimp. Uh, some other things that were near the top of the list, uh, don't try to say g'day if you're not an Aussie, uh, particularly if you're an American. Another thing not to say, Aussies and Kiwis are pretty much the same, aren't they? Um, apologies to Matt Watt. Uh, we love our Kiwi brethren. When Julie and I lived in East Asia, we learnt there were quite a few things um, that we didn't like as Aussies um, either, that were sensitive to us Aussies, that the locals didn't bat an eyelid in talking about. Uh, we discovered that when it came to commenting on things like language ability, two people fell into basically two camps. Uh, there were those who used ridiculous flattery. So when I said, hello, they would say, Oh, your language is so good. <laughs> then there were those who we wished would use ridiculous flattery, but instead were brutally honest. Uh, when they would wheedle out of me the fact that I'd spent an embarrassing amount of time um, learning the language for the level that I was at, they would say something like, Oh, you're really not very good, are you? Um, this was the same group of people who would helpfully comment to Julie and I, giving us parenting advice uh, when they observed how we interacted as a family. They would say things like, your boys really aren't very well behaved, are they? <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> there are some things in life that we really, don't, well, we really know, but we don't want to be reminded of. Things that cause us embarrassment and social awkwardness. Today we're going to look at a subject that for Jewish leaders in the, 21st, in, the, sorry, in the first century AD, they desperately wanted to bury. Something that was embarrassing and awkward, but more than that, was dangerous and that threatened their position and power. It was something that caused the religious heavies, the priests and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees rather, to squirm in their seats. And that's the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. This religious crazy who claimed he was the king of the Jews. These leaders thought that the issue of Jesus was literally dead and buried. 
Last Friday was Good Friday when we remembered Jesus dying for us on the cross. A dark day when the powers of evil prevailed. The leaders had their way and had Jesus executed on trumped up charges. They slapped themselves on the back and congratulated themselves that that was the end of this troublesome Galilean. But today is Easter Sunday, isn't it? Which we celebrate because the dead Jesus didn't stay dead. To the horror of the Jewish leaders, at dawn on that Sunday morning, a couple of women, as we uh, had read earlier to us, found the tomb empty. Jesus had risen from the dead. Today we're going to look at an incident that happens a little while later, an encounter between two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, and these religious heavyweights. And we'll see that it was a belief in the resurrection of Jesus that changes the lives of Peter and John forever and gives them the boldness to speak about what they believe. And then we'll think about how that relates to baptism and the steps that these three young people have just taken. And I'll finish off by connecting that to the rest of us. So as we dive into our passage, our first, by the way, there's a, um, there's a link. Go ahead and go back. No, won't go back. There's a link to uh, the, the, um, the handout is, is online. There it is, goswek.org.au outline. Um, so there are three points as we dive into our passage. Our first point is that it was the resurrection that leads Peter and John butting heads against these religious leaders. They didn't like the disciples stirring up trouble about this inconveniently empty tomb. Have a look at the first few verses. The priests... And the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. It's because they proclaimed in Jesus the resurrection of the dead that the leaders were disturbed and had Peter and John thrown in jail. Now you may notice that it's not just the resurrection of Jesus they're proclaiming, it's bigger than that. The resurrection of the dead means that all people will rise and those who trust in Jesus will rise to eternal life. And the fact that Jesus rose first guarantees that. And people believed their message. 5,000 men, that's not counting women, they were a bit sexist then. This message of the empty tomb spread like wildfire because the tomb stayed empty for all to see. The authorities couldn't hide it. And they couldn't produce a dead Jesus to kill the rumours. In fact, more and more people saw the resurrected Jesus who was very much alive. And news about him continued to spread. So why was this such bad news for the religious authorities? Why did they care about these stories of the resurrection? Well, they cared because they cared about power. And Jesus threatened that power and their status. They killed Jesus because he claimed to be king of the Jews, 
not some political ruler, but he claimed to be God himself. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, it proved that he was God. It exposed the leaders for being wrong about who God was and what he was doing in history. And that threatened their position and their power. So they do what every good politician does when their power is threatened. They try to gag those who are causing the trouble. So they have Peter and John thrown into jail. But that's not the end of their headache. Because the next day they drag Peter and John before the ruling council and set about trying to make sure that they shut up and stop causing trouble by talking about Jesus' resurrection. But Peter and John won't play ball. They refuse to be intimidated by this group of heavies. Instead, and this is our second point, they keep talking about Jesus with an embarrassing boldness that causes the leaders to want to tear their hair out. After spending the night in jail, the leaders haul Peter and John out to interrogate them before the ruling council. Now, the background to all this is that uh, Peter and John had just performed a miracle. They had just healed a paralysed man, which attracted a crowd and caused a ruckus. The disciples were in the midst of talking to the crowd when they were arrested. So now they're standing before the ruling council, and this is what they have to say. Let's pick it up in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness showing to, shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now this is just plain embarrassing for the rulers. At this point, they're cringing at everything that Peter and John are saying. It's like the young kid at the dinner table in polite society who blurts out what his parents drummed into him. Uh, Johnny, you mustn't say that Aunt Maud is fat and wears a wig, okay? And of course, what's the first thing Johnny says as Aunt Maud walks through the door? Peter and John list one by one all the things that these Jewish leaders do not want to hear, all the things they want to bury and cover up. It is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but who is now resurrected, who God raised from the dead. The cornerstone, the foundation, you rejected. Salvation is found only in Jesus, who you condemned as a liar and a fraud. This, this kind of boldness wasn't going to help the disciples get on with the authorities, was it? It wasn't designed to, to smooth their path to get them released. They were on a collision course with the Jewish heavies and it threatened to end badly for them. If they wanted a strategy for getting up the nose of the rich and powerful, then this was the master plan. They were amazingly unconcerned with their self-preservation. And what's all the more remarkable about it is that Peter especially didn't exactly have a track record for being bold and courageous when it counted. 
You may be familiar with the story of how Peter responded when Jesus was arrested. He was recognised by three different people as being one of Jesus' disciples. And then on three, those three occasions, Peter says, I don't know him, I don't know him. Three times he denied Jesus in a cowardly act of self-preservation. But here, just a few short weeks later, Peter is a completely changed man. And what changed him from a coward to a man of boldness and courage was what happened on that Sunday morning after his death. The resurrection. Which Peter, by the way, didn't expect and didn't believe until he saw the empty tomb with his own eyes. The resurrection gave Peter a supernatural boldness that was impossible before that Sunday morning. And that brings us to our third point. Peter and John showed a resurrection boldness that can only come from the hope that Jesus' defeating death gave them. We're going to finish off our story in Acts 4 by looking at Peter and John's final words to the leaders and then we're going to spend some time bringing it home to us and seeing that resurrection boldness isn't just an inspiring story from the early church, but it's actually the ongoing story of God's people. It's the story of the ordinary believer. It's the story of you and I here at Southwest Evangelical Church in 2021. So after Peter and John finish talking, uh, uh, the ruling council send them out. Uh, and they put their heads together to work out what they're going to do, how they're going to solve this situation. And what they agree on is that this talk of Jesus and the resurrection has to stop. They call Peter and John back in and order them not to speak anymore about Jesus. Now this isn't just a friendly suggestion. This is basically a court order that's enforceable by law. If Peter and John ignore this, they could face serious jail time or worse. But instead, this is how they respond. We pick it up in verse 19, 18. But Peter and John replied, it is 19. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? Sorry, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. No thought of caving in under pressure. No thought of self-preservation. They're compelled to speak about Jesus because the resurrection changes everything. See, You see, they understand that Jesus' resurrection shows him to be God. They understand that it shows him to be king over every one of us. It shows that what he did on the cross is finished and that sin and death have been defeated. And now, Peter and John say in verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. They recognise that hearing about Jesus and believing him is a matter of life and death. It changed their lives and it's a message that the whole world needs to hear. It's a message that you and I 
need to hear and to respond to. Perhaps you're here um, today as someone who isn't sure about what Jesus means for you or how you should respond to him. Uh, Or perhaps you've never really seriously thought through the resurrection. Is it true? And what's it mean if it is? If that describes you, I want to encourage you to pay serious attention to the words of Peter and John in this chapter. Because they're not just talking about some ancient story, some ancient historical event that doesn't affect us now. What they're saying about the resurrection is something that could change your life. Because if it's true that Jesus rose from the dead, it does show that he is God. And it shows that his death really was to pay for the sins of the world. And that includes your sins and mine. And as we just saw in verse 12, it means that Jesus is the only one who can save us from our sin. Our rebellion against God. The resurrection shows that Jesus has dealt once and for all with that sin and that by trusting in him we are saved. So friends, I know that there's a lot in that, in what I've just said. Uh, And we haven't got time to unpack that in more detail. But as I said, if you are here today trying to make sense of what that means and the significance of it, I'd love to talk to you more about it later, uh, or Pastor Pete or Dom, uh, or the person who brought you. Uh, Please take that opportunity. If you're here today as a Christian, perhaps you've been coming to South West for a while uh, and you do trust in Jesus, You do believe in the resurrection. Well, God wants to speak to you as well through this story. This chapter is an encouragement and a challenge that the boldness we see in Peter and John because of the resurrection isn't just an amazing story for us to admire. It's also a blueprint for action that sets out a pattern for you and I and every ordinary Christian to follow. Not just the apostles, not just your Billy Grahams or Hudson Taylors. We saw today that it's also Andrew and Bethany and Bill. Now I know that being baptised isn't the same as standing up against the ruling council of of the Jewish authorities. But that doesn't mean that what these three young people have done today is not significant. Because it is. In being baptised, they have taken a stand and said that Jesus is their king and their life now belongs to him. And in our culture, that's no small thing. Because they are making a statement that salvation is found in no one else but in Jesus alone. They are saying that to a world that says that any and every belief is true if only you're sincere in believing it. They are standing up and saying that they believe that humanity is lost because of sin before a world that is offended by the idea of sin and God's punishment for it. You see, it's no small thing for Andrew, Bethany and Bill to have the boldness to declare what they believe before their friends and their family. finish off I want to bring it home for the rest of us 
to us ordinary believers. And I want to ask all of us, are we prepared to do and to live? Are we prepared to and do we live out the resurrection boldness in our lives? And I want to suggest three areas of relationships that I want you to briefly think about. Family, work colleagues, or it might be uni, and friends. Family, work or uni, and friends. And that could include old school friends, neighbours, anything. Which of these three groups of people do you struggle to be bold with your faith with? By that I mean... Where are you reluctant to tell people you're a Christian? Or where do you not look for opportunities to share your faith or invite people to church? Perhaps it's family. Perhaps they're just too close to you and you're afraid of causing waves and upsetting them. Perhaps it's work colleagues or other students at uni. Are you too concerned about your reputation at work to speak out or or are you too concerned about how it might affect your promotion opportunities? Or is it just too hard and just too much effort to even try? Or with friends, are you afraid of rejection? Is it just too awkward to bring up stuff that might cause them to cringe and be embarrassed. So think about those three areas and ask God to show you if there's one or more of them that you need to develop boldness in standing up for Jesus. Finally, I want to ask another diagnostic question related to what you're prepared to talk about. I don't know about you, but I reckon that I find it easy to talk about certain things about Jesus and others. So, for example, his claims to be God, evidence for the resurrection, uh, theology. I'm happy to talk about those things till the cows come home. Um, I find that relatively comfortable. But I want to suggest that a couple of the things that Peter and John talked about with the Jewish leaders are also areas that we find difficult to be bold but are crucial if we're going to faithfully tell people the gospel. And I want to add a third area as well. Let me preface this by saying that these are things that I really struggle with. I find it hard to say things that are awkward and might cause embarrassment. The first area is sin. It's not polite dinner conversation, is it? To tell people that they are sinners and need to repent. But if we never talk about sin, people will never understand why they need Jesus. And Jesus is reduced to being a nice add-on to give our lives meaning and satisfaction. But boldness that comes from understanding the resurrection and what Jesus has done must include a willingness to say the hard things about sin. Which leads me to area number two. Judgment. Talking about judgment these days is even less polite and popular, I think, than the topic of sin. Who wants to know that they are God's enemy because of sin? Who wants to hear that the blind optimism most of us have is badly misplaced because the reality of our future without God is judgment? 
But if we're really concerned about our friends and family, we'll want them to know that. If someone is about to drive off a cliff, we don't keep our mouths shut to be polite, do we? We tell them, we yell at them if we need to, stop, or you'll go over the cliff. And again, if we don't talk about God's judgment for our sin, it makes the gospel meaningless. Why would people need Jesus to save us if there's nothing to be saved from? Third area where we need to be prepared to tackle in telling people about Jesus is a statement that Peter and John said in verse 12. As we said earlier, that salvation is found in no one else but Jesus. Our world doesn't accept the claim to one truth. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, oh, you've got your belief and I've got mine, that's nice, with the implication that um, implication being that they are both as equally true. Your truth is true for you and my truth is true for me. When we claim to have the truth, then of course it implies that the other beliefs, beliefs are wrong. That's considered intolerant. Arrogant. But Jesus wasn't shy about saying that he was the way, the truth and the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? The disciples weren't embarrassed to say it and neither should we be. If Jesus is not the only way to God, then why should we bother telling people about him? But if he really is, how can we not? Tell others about him. So how are you going at being bold? How are you going at being willing to stand up and tell others about Jesus? How does the reality of the Easter Sunday and the empty tomb make a difference for your life? Are you prepared to deal with the embarrassment and perhaps even offence of bringing up hard topics because you believe that people need to hear the hope of the resurrection. Amen.